Hi, everyone. This is Daniel. Welcome back to the podcast. Excited to be with you here today. And uh, we have an exciting program for you. Um, I've just read a great book by Robert Schiller, who's a Nobel Prize economist from Yale University, um, called Narrative Economics. And it's all about stories. So our podcast today is about stories. Stories we tell ourselves, stories other tells us, and everything in the life of entrepreneur is really a story. And it's amazing. You go to investors and you tell them a story. But what I found fascinating about Robert Schiller is that he is telling us that basically stories drive a lot of what's happening around us. And a lot of the economic narrative is driven by narratives, which I found fascinating. So I thought back to my university studies. And I remember in my undergraduate specifically, uh, one of the stories that I read, and it stuck with me for a very long time. So in these times of COVID, a lot of people have gone out to Colorado, Arizona, and all these places with amazing woods. So this is a story that I remember that we read in college. And it goes, there's a gentleman who after his career has kind of dried up, he's tried a bunch of different jobs, not very successful, and he takes a job in an outpost overlooking a forest to make sure that the forest doesn't burn. So he's got a, a wood cabin up in the hills overlooking this gorgeous forest. It's green, it's lush, clean, crisp air, and he can see all of the stars at night. He has this kind of you know balcony overlooking the forest. He's got his chair, his armchair. He's got his little, uh, um, what is it, like heating stove where he stays warm and he's making his coffee. Oh my God, it sounds like my dream. Don't we all want to be there right now or be there sometimes or just when we're alone on a Saturday morning, we would love to be in a cabin up in the hills overlooking a forest and he's got this eerie quiet. It's actually a little bit lonely. And then one day he notices when he's looking out of the outpost, he noticed somebody walking down amongst the forest. So he goes running out of the cabin and rushes down and tries to speak to this gentleman, and he can't find him. And the, this kind of repeats itself day after day. So he's not really alone there. He's kind of looking in the forest, and he sees this, it looks like an elderly uh, gentleman walking throughout the forest. And he can never quite talk to him. He can never quite catch him. And this is like day in, day out. Again, he's gazing at the stars at night. Uh, watching the forest throughout the day. And then one day he wakes up, it's I think in the middle of the night or very, very early in the morning, let's say 4 a.m., and the forest is burning. And he just goes crazy. So he rushes down, he's trying to put out the flames, but obviously it's useless, one gentleman against this burning forest. And there's smoke everywhere he can't breathe. He runs back up and he just feels like an abject failure, right? His one goal was to protect this gorgeous forest and he, he's failed and he tries to find this gentleman. He tries to communicate with him. He's looking and then he sees him dancing in the ashes as the forest is burning and he runs over to him and the gentleman, you know, doesn't say anything and runs away. And the reason I, I remember this story till today, and I don't want to tell you how old I am, but I went to college 20 years ago. So this means that I, I read this 20 or 21 years ago, and I still remember the vivid details. 
And this was a metaphor to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And the gentleman who burned down the forest was a Palestinian. And the gentleman watching the forest is a metaphor to the Israeli army and the Israelis. And the only way the Palestinians had to communicate was via fire. And they tried to communicate in other means. And this was written by uh, a very famous Israeli author who's also a peace activist. And, and that story stuck with me also because of what it symbolized, what it tried to communicate. And so the reason I told you this whole story is because I agree that the story can be extremely powerful. And in a time where in the first podcast episode I talked to you about noise, where we have so much noise around us, what are the stories that stick with us and how powerful that is? And we think in the book, Robert Chiller talks about these narratives are running the day. So we have a narrative around Bitcoin. So he spends a lot of time talking about Bitcoin. And we've seen, for those of you who are following, and it's now the end of December 2020, Bitcoin has been skyrocketing. And now everybody who believes in Bitcoin has been saying, you see, we're at, I don't know what we are at, 24,000 per Bitcoin, 25,000. And so it's just a story. Most people don't even understand what a blockchain is or what Bitcoin is or what XRP from Ripple is. So all of these stories are growing. And when we have crises, like, you know, we see the Standard & Poor, uh, S&P, or any one of the other economic market indicators that we track, dive in March with the news of COVID and lockdowns because investors get very ignorant. That's mass hysteria. And so the question is, if we just change the, the, the story or the narrative, economic outcomes could be different. And in the book, he shows all of these charts where, you know, what is in the media and which media outlet? Because as we know, well, at least in the United States, some of the media outlets lean to one side, some of the media outlets lean to the other, but it can actually impact economic decisions that households are making. And I, th I reflect back on the power of these stories. So you, there are stories that we tell ourselves we have to be very careful. And as an entrepreneur, the stories that you tell your employees, your board of directors, your management team, your investors become extremely crucial. And I remember when I started the company or when I joined the company as a co-founder in the beginning, my co-founder and I, Sam, spent a lot of time, I would say hours, weeks, months, going through that story and that narrative and being very careful in the sequence of how it is. And I remember I used to send drafts and then he would leave me WhatsApp voice notes back with all of his comments. And then I would modify, then I would send it back. And I think it's a very iterative process and it's still going on. And we're constantly altering that narrative and what we're telling investors. And so... I really, what I really want you to take away from this chapter is think very carefully about stories and narratives and what those are and what you tell them. What's the story of your company? What's your personal story? What's your narrative? And think about how to draft that. And because that's what people will remember. People will remember stories. And Robert Schiller says this in the book. He said, you know, I can give a thousand facts. I can give statistics. I can give you numbers but you're not going to remember them. <laughs> you are going to remember a story. And how do we tell better stories? And what are those stories? So I think it's about visual stories. 
and uh, I'm giving a presentation on the 10th of January, so in two weeks, to a men's group that I used to be a part of, and I'm giving that presentation on the future of money, digital currencies, blockchain, Bitcoin, future of money, digital money, and everything that I do in my life and everything that I seem to have developed an expertise for. And in developing that presentation, I'm using images and only images, no words, no words on any of the slides, which people find a bit controversial, but I'm telling a story. And so I'd like to tell you a little bit of that story, and that's how I'm going to end today's podcast. So it's three o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm with the kids in the pool, and it's Miami, it's sunny, and my wife comes over, this is a Sunday, and she says, hey, when is your flight to Europe? And I said, my flight to Europe's at 5 p.m., why? And she said, because it's 3.30 p.m. And I said, what? <laughs> so I basically threw the kids over at her, jumped out of the pool, dried myself off with a towel, and went running out to the front of the building. We were visiting friends at another building, and I requested my car from the valet. I gave him an extra tip. It couldn't come fast enough. I got into the car, and I rushed out to the airport, parked the car. Now, you have to remember, I'm full of chlorine. I've been in the pool. I'm kind of a mess. So to get on a transatlantic flight is not the greatest thing in the world. So I go through security. Luckily, I was flying a lot at the time and had special status with the airline. So they took me through my special dedicated line. I go through security. At this point, it's like 4.30. Again, remember, the flight's taken off at 5. Um, so I take a quick shower in the airport. I change my clothes and I'm running to the gate and I realize that I want a cup of coffee and a bottle of water and I go up to buy them quickly on my way and I realize I don't have my wallet. So I start patting myself down. I'm looking in my bag and I said, well, oh my gosh, I, I don't have my wallet. <laughs> I have my passport, but I don't have my wallet. And at this point in the background, uh, they're going final call. We are shutting the doors um, on the flight to Dublin, Ireland. So I get onto the plane and I sit down and I, I call my my admin. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I explained to her the situation. I said, look, I don't have my wallet and the plane doors are closed. We're about to take off. And she says, OK, let, let me quickly do this. Let's call the bank because I had a corporate card issued by my employer. So we call the bank and I explain the situation. I'm flying to Europe. It's Sunday. And she says, sir, we can get you a replacement card on Friday in London um, because I was going from Dublin to London. I said, that's fabulous. But, you know, I'm going to be back in Miami by then because I'm flying on Thursday night. I'll be back here Friday morning. Is there anything else you can do? And she said, sorry, there's nothing we can do. And then I called the bank of my personal card. There was nothing they could do either. And we take off. And I'm sitting there on the plane and I'm going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have no cards. I have no cash. <laughs> uh, kind of a problem. So I land in Dublin and I step out of the airport and I open my phone and I call an Uber. So everybody knows Uber at this point and Lyft and Grab and Didi and all the one wonderful services. I request my Uber, I get into the car, and of course I have my card in the cloud, and I request that Uber, and it takes me to the Westin Hotel in downtown Dublin. 
So I get to the hotel and I walk in and I say, sir, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this. I have my passport, but I've left my wallet in the United States. I have no cards, no cash. So he takes my passport. He looks into the computer and he says, oh, mister, we know you. We've got your information on file. We have your card on file. Everything's fine. No worries. We'll call the bank. So they called the bank in the United States to manually approve that transaction. And he says, good news. We've upgraded your room. <laughs> And this is unbelievable, but it's a true story. And I go up, I drop my stuff off, and then I said, boy, now I need to eat. So I go down and I'm wandering the streets, and I say, hey, there's Starbucks. So I walk into Starbucks, and for those of you who live outside the United States, Starbucks has this app, QR code. It works in Canada, maybe in a few countries in Europe. And I asked the woman, would, would it work here? And she says, yeah, absolutely. So I got some food of what I was able to get. I had a cup of tea. And I scan my QR code and my card is charged in the cloud in the U.S. and I walk out with my stuff. I go up to my room, I, you know, I do what I need to do. I attended my meetings, again, going back and forth with Uber. I'm eating at Starbucks. And then I fly from Dublin the next day to London. I arrive in London. I come out in Heathrow and I use uh, the Heathrow Express with it's a train. And the good news is they have Apple Pay. So I pay using my phone with Apple Pay. And for those of you who know Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and all these wallets, so I was able to touch my phone to a dedicated like pad on the, the reader, whatever it's called, POS terminal, point of sale terminal, that's contactless and it lets me go and I ride into London. At this point I'm starving. So I find a Tesco, I walk into Tesco and I see that they have Apple Pay. So I get my fruits and my vegetables. I'm vegan, everybody, so that's that's pretty much what I eat. And I go up to the register, and again, I use Apple Pay to pay at the register. And I come out, and I, I have my meetings in London. I spend my time, same story at the hotel again. And then I make it back to the U.S., to Miami. And that's a true story. Now, on the flight back, the whole time, I'm thinking about the future money and what it's going to look like. And that leads into my story. So now you're going to remember this story. And the point of it is, the reason I tell this story is because then it, would, it dawned on me that cash will disappear from the world. And I think it is, pretty much. If you're in Sweden, United States, or a developed country, you are barely, if ever, touching cash. And if you are, it's to pay tips or a valet or holiday gifts or... Or you're unbanked or not banked. But if you have a bank account, you're using cards, you're using wallets, you know, you're using your phone or whatever that might be. So the story is, now you'll remember the story, I hope, but it's a narrative which helps you understand where my mind's at in terms of my experiences and the future of money. So that's the podcast. That's what I have for you for today. A little bit longer than the first one, a little bit shorter than the next one. And I hope that it possibly contributes to your day. That's my objective, to contribute, to make you think. And um, that's Robert Schiller, Yale economist on the economic narratives, narratives that run the day, the information campaigns, the stories that drive mass hysteria, that drive the markets, that drive economic events. My name is Daniel. I thank you for listening. I hope you have a great day and appreciate you tuning in. Take care, everyone.